Hello, hello. My name is Jared Cooch. Thanks for joining me for the very first episode of Tunnel Talk. I'm pretty excited for this one. Uh, my first rugby league podcast. Really looking forward to getting into it. Uh, a bit about the podcast before I introduce my first guest. Well, I guess my aim with this is just to go deeper into the thoughts and ideas of people in the game of rugby league and really just get their answers to questions that I guess you wonder about and discuss with your friends and family or whoever, but you won't get the question answered in the limited time, I guess, that lots of the media have to ask questions about the game itself, but I I like to go a little bit broader and and some thoughts into the game and not just day-to-day headlines. Uh, So I thought these are the questions that I've got. You've probably got them too. I want them answered, so I'm going to ask some of these people uh, involved in the game and see if they can answer it. I mean, I, I worked in the game for a few years, and I guess one of the main things that I found was sometimes the reality of what people think is happening inside the game and inside clubs, it's often very different uh, in reality. But I guess sometimes as well they were spot on and and there was other times I actually had no idea myself what was happening. But uh, I guess through this podcast, I hope to get all those questions that you have, that I have, hopefully we can get them answered. Um, So I've started off with Steve McNamara. Now, until recently, uh, Mac was the head coach of the England national team including when they beat New Zealand in their most recent test series. Uh, he's also the assistant coach at the Sydney Roosters. Now, Max, he's a deep thinker. He's open-minded. And I guess he was the perfect choice for the first guest on this podcast. Now, he openly answered questions about why coaches take very few risks in the NRL and continue to play that structured kind of disciplined game. His thoughts on the media's coverage of the game and whether they really actually know anything about the game and the tactics the coaches and the teams are trying to employ. Uh, he did mention the one show on television he thinks best covers the tactical side of the game. Whether or not coaches actually listens to fa- listen to fans' comments and do they actually react to them, I think you'll be surprised with the answer to that one. I know I was. You know why, why coaching was a high, the highest honor he could possibly receive, and why he actually knows more about the game of rugby league than the standard fan who's followed it for 25 years. What is it that the coaches know? I guess we're going to have to find out. Here's Mac. All right, Mac, thanks for uh, joining me on this lovely Saturday. You just finished what were you doing, training with the boys before the game tomorrow? Yep, team run. Uh, last session of the week, only a short session, but uh, obviously really important, the day before the game. and uh, A lot of preparation just being done and uh, just putting the final touches to that. Is it always the day before the game you have a training session? Is it always at a particular time or does it depend what day they get, what time the game is? Yeah, we have, we have um, a fairly structured week. We have a, a, a pattern to our weeks, you know, depending on your turnarounds. So some, you might have a seven-day turnaround into a game, you might have a five-day, you might have a nine-day. So, but the uh, day, uh, day before the game is always uh, the captain's run, as it's called, team run. And uh, generally it's at 10 stroke, 11 o'clock in the morning. Uh, early in the week, day three sessions, so the three days before the game. Uh, we generally have a, a, a training session which is a, which is around kickoff time. So if that's an afternoon kickoff, it would be an afternoon session. Right. An evening session, that would be an evening session. Yeah, and after that, feed up for the coaches on uh, the, the day off. It uh, it is really to be fair. I mean, you know, once once this session has been done, you know, there's been a lot of work during the week and uh, and probably the previous week actually leading into this game. So there's a lot of work done by the staff leading into that. And yeah, it's a little bit time for. You know, Saturday afternoon, spend a little bit of time with the family and do some odd jobs around the house and yeah. whatever else you need to do uh, before obviously game day becomes uh, becomes upon us. Yeah, right, okay. The coaches don't all often hang together the night before the game, so it's a home game like tomorrow. 
often just do you hang out together at all, talk about the game, or that's it? You're far removed from the game the night uh, before. Well, we will tonight because we're actually going into a hotel. Yeah, right. Uh, so the players have trained. They're going to get quite a few hours at home, and then uh, we're actually going out to Homebush tonight, um, meeting across there, and having an evening meal together, and and uh, put some final preparations to that. You know, wake up close to the venue and. Um, just get the group together so there will be tonight but in general no no in general no we see more of each other than we do our partners and yeah, right. so it's, uh, it's a good time just to get a little break break away I guess that makes it pretty important then that you get on with your coaching staff and if there's a little kind of a twinge there and something's not working that well that can often play a big effect yeah, considering th- you're always together yeah I think you know, in all white places yeah. you know, um, and more so in coaching maybe it's just you know, in a normal workplace like for me, I can switch off after Friday. Well, you're yeah. stuck with the same people on the weekends as well. Yeah, but I think it just becomes part of our job. It doesn't. It doesn't feel strange yeah. or different to us because it's it's what we do and it's probably what we've done for a long period of time. And uh, not all of us were players, but most of us were players as well. So it's something you, you've done from a very young age. So it just does seem the normal. But yeah, I think um, you know that uh, that connection, that connection between the coaching staff, connection between any sports team is really important. But the connection between the coaching staff and as in any walk of life, you've got people with different personalities and different profiles, and uh, yeah, well, fortunately for us here at the Roosters, we've got a really good mix. All right, you mentioned the day before the game going into camp, even though it's a home game. Is that the norm now in the NRL for teams to to do that? And if and why do you do that? Well, the game's in Sydney. You yeah. know, it's, it's not a home game as yeah. such. It's, it's uh, yeah. I've obviously at Bulldogs, but it's a, a game in Sydney, and uh, we don't do that all the time. We, we do vary uh, every now and again, but. Uh, you know, even if we do have a home game, you know, we might have a Friday night home game. You know, eight, eight o'clock at Allianz, and uh, we'll meet uh, across lunchtime. We'll meet generally either in in Kudji, which is a, the Crown Plaza Hotel in Kudji, or we meet in the city where uh, there's a Pullman Hotel, and we generally have a walk around lunchtime, have some food together, uh, and spend a little bit of time in the hotel before we go to the game. So uh, it's something that is. Um, is you well for me? It's unique to the Roosters. I've yeah, right. I've not experienced that before, but it's something that does work for us. Yeah. Okay. Now let's get a bit broader. We'll talk about coaching in general. I mean, you're a great player before you took up coaching, but what then led you down the path of actually wanting to become a coach? For me, it started really early, and it was it was pretty simple. My dad was um, a coach educator. My dad was one of the blokes who, when people were going for the coaching badges, you would go, and my right. dad would put people through that. And I used to go along on a on a weekend and. And watch him coach coaches, if you like. So it was um, inbred from a, a very young age. So I had a, a very good um, initial upbringing on that front. And then I think uh, alongside of that, what was really important was was my first professional coach. And my first professional coach uh, when I was 17 back in Hull was Brian Smith. Right. And Brian Smith uh, was an incredible uh, teacher. You know, his knowledge of the game is, is second to none. Um, and there's a lot of players who have been coached by Brian Smith who have ended up going on to be coaches yeah. themselves. So it was the it was a double whammy, if you like, you know, the initial uh, setting up from a from a dad, and then Brian Smith big, having the big influence as your first coach, yeah. and uh, really caught the bug for that. So I would I would go training at Hull FC. I would uh, from a young age. I would I would go and practice and train, and then on the nights off, I'd go back with my mates who were playing for the local teams, and I'd go help coach them. So it was right. yeah, it was a. Uh, uh, from an early age, I was sort of I really enjoyed that and was looking forward. Uh, I really enjoyed my playing career. Like I had a fantastic mm. playing career and really enjoyed that. But I always had one eye on what I would be doing after that, and it was uh, it was coaching for me. Yeah, it seems like a strange twist. You talk about Brian Smith being an influence, and now you're at the the club where he was at the helm for a long time and doing yeah. doing the same thing here. 
you mentioned doing coaching from an early age and you were pl- but you went straight into playing mm. did you feel like you had a coaching instinct inside of you while you were still playing yeah that, that, that yeah. that's what I felt all the way th- through my career I was you know I, I captained quite quite a few of the teams mm. what I played for and from an early age and um, that type of leadership sort of role and, and like I said you are influenced heavily by by your parents and, mm. and, and I had a, a great upbringing and a solid upbringing, working class upbringing, but yeah. from from um, uh, from a coaching point of view, like I said, my dad was heavily involved in that. So, coaching is you know it's teaching, it's educating, it's it's leading, and um, yeah, I felt that it was um, it was really important. It, it helped me as long as a uh, helped me as a player. Yeah, because uh, physically I didn't have the best physical attributes. I mm. wasn't the quickest or the biggest, the fastest. You know, the most powerful. Um, so I had to use different ways yeah, right. uh, to be able to play the game. So you think you're a better coach than what you were a player? Uh, I'd like to think so. <laughs> <laughs> I enjoyed my class, I really enjoyed my playing career, but um, coaching is different and it's all encompassing. It is, yeah. you know, as a player, it is very much about yourself. Uh, you, you know, you're responsible for yourself, but as a coach, you are, you know, there's far more great responsibility that goes with that. and. Um, you know, greater expectation in terms of leading a group. Hmm. That, that, that all adds up and I guess combines as to why you wanted to get into coaching, but now that you're in coaching, you've done it for a long time, very successful, what is it about the actual job that you like that keeps you going? Um, well, lots. You know, there's lots, lots of different areas, but for me, seeing um, individual players uh, progress hmm. you know, as, uh, as better rugby league players and better people, and <clears throat> there's nothing better when you get a bunch of young men Yep. come in and uh, want to be influenced and can be influenced and you see the impact that you have on them <coughs> in gen- in general and uh, I think for me that, that that's the biggest kick that you get of course it's about winning yeah. uh, uh, ultimately the sport is about particularly at this level mm. when you're coaching at NRL <coughs> excuse me international or super league or whatever it may be it's about winning winning games but to win games you have to um, improve those players individually, and uh, that's certainly an aspect of of coaching that I really enjoy. Does it give you a sense of purpose in life? Like, is there a deeper, deeper meaning to all this? <laughs> I don't get that deep, to be honest. <laughs> I uh, no, I'm pretty simple in terms of that. I just enjoy enjoy what what we do, and um, actually connecting those individuals together mm. is a is a really complex part of the job. You know, it's you know we're, we're trying to produce. Incredibly gifted athletes, yeah, uh, who can run hundred meters very fast, who but can run hundred meters really fast and run through a brick wall, yeah. You know uh, that they're intelligent, they can understand the technical and tactical side of the game, but then you've got to combine all of those people together and throw them into a team. And um, at a club, it's slightly easier because you have more contact time with yep. them. But if you go to a rep team, an Origin team, or an international teams, I have. Getting that connection and combination together is yeah. the most difficult part uh, and the biggest challenge that the job presents. Yeah, I guess, and there's a million different ways to do that and a million different coaching styles that you can have to want to achieve that same result. Yep. How, how did you decide from day one what your coaching style was going to, going to be and how you would execute it? Oh, again, probably influenced heavily by by uh, my early mentors, if you like, um, who, was, who were really, um, you know, although Brian Smith had the reputation of being this fearsome sort of character. Mm. It really took time to, to sit and educate the players uh, that was needed. But uh, for me, uh, I, I like to take that bit on board, and it's a personality. Of, you know, I like I like uh, detail. I like mm. detail in terms of what we do. 
but for me, uh, the biggest lesson I had was was particularly on the international stage, was where you get this this group of players who are highly talented individuals, but understanding their personalities and their yeah. profiles and what they actually need might not be the same as what somebody else needs. Um, was for me was probably one of the biggest learning experiences that I had, and I had to change my coaching style right. when speaking to certain players. Yeah, okay. Because the way I would naturally coach is not necessarily the way that those players would best receive information. So it was a really interesting project, the international, the England, the England side of the job. Uh, but getting that bit right was essential. Yeah, I want to talk about the international side of the thing because what an amazing experience coaching, yeah. coaching um, your own country. But I just want to talk about actual working now, day to day as a coach. It, obviously, it must consume your whole life. Does it does it take over? Is it the main thing in your life? Yeah, it, you know, the, there's probably two things. There's there's um, rugby league and this yeah. family, and yeah. and um, for me, it's been really interesting because coming moving from England, you know, my, my children were twelve and thirteen when I moved. I was taking yeah. them out of high school and putting them into a, a different education at a really important stage of their mm. educational careers, if you like. And so it was a bit of um, not a gamble, but it was, you know, it was a it was a big thing to do that. Um, and so supporting the family when we don't have other family around us mm. um, is really, really important. But you don't have time for anything else. You know, yeah. it basically, is, it's, it's nearly 24-7 in terms of um, Sydney Roosters. Yeah. <clears throat> the little bits of time you have between that, it's the same as everybody else, running the kids to yeah. football training, the daughter does rowing, and then there's, yeah. a, you know, there's an event on, or whatever it may be, but you, you're just being a taxi for your kids, basically, yeah. the time when you're not working. Yeah. Is that something that you don't like about the job, the fact that it's so consuming? No, no. It, you know, it it can be if you don't get the balance right. But it's yeah. very difficult to get the balance right because um, it is such a big job and such a, an important and role. And I think having the, the right family and the right partner mm. and people under, understand that and not put any more pressure on you than, mm. than that already is is really important. So that's been good for me. But um, no, it is great when you do get a break. You do get mm. to spend some time with the family, and you certainly appreciate them more um, during those phases. Mm. Isn't it funny how in, in coaching or in just professional sports, you know, the idea of moving your family or your life overseas or to another part of the same country is, okay, we'll, we'll do it. But in other areas of life, if you're a teacher, it's no one really decides you to stop and move to be a teacher. It's like yeah. really accepted in the professional sports industry that that's what you have to do. Yeah, you do. There is only so many, so many jobs, a limited yeah. jobs. And you know, coming from England, you know, I, um, like I said, I had an Australian of, influencing Brian Smith very early in my career a huge Australian influence and I came over here and played some lower grades at St George and came across here on a tour with Great Britain and sort of you know saw how big the game was and that was back in the 90s and then the yeah. game's just grown and grown and grown and um, you know for me I wanted to come and coach in the NRL and to do that there's only one thing you can do you know unless you're single you yeah. come across there but you've got a family and you've got to make that leap and make that jump and um Living 12,000 miles away from home is great. I really enjoy it, but it's not for everybody. It can yeah. be difficult for some people, but fortunately, uh, we've settled in really well. Yeah, that's great. Now, you mentioned coaching in the NRL. Is that still, is that still the aim, to be a head coach at a NRL team? Oh, look, I'm really happy in terms of doing the role yeah. that I, I do at the Roosters. I am 100% happy with that, but I think you know anybody, everybody's ambitious, and uh, being an head coach in the NRL mm. is, a, is a huge job and one that... Uh, if that opportunity arose at, at, at some point, then, then I'd certainly look at that, but it's not something I'm, I'm going out there and seeking and looking for. 
right, young Burgess on the wing out here, young English bloke. I, I saw an interview with him a couple of weeks ago where he mentioned when he was playing over in England, he, he got the call from the Roosters and, and received an offer, and he said in his terms, it was like Manchester United calling you and saying, mm. come and play, and he just couldn't turn it down. Yeah. Is that kind of the perspective for players over there? Yeah, it, yeah. everyone looks at the NRL. We... Uh, so you've got to remember, like in, in England, there's only two games on TV every weekend, yep. so we get limited access to rugby league and uh, football or soccer, as you would call it in mm. Australia. Just Premier League, EPL, just dominates, absolutely mm. dominates. You know most of the country. So the rugby league fans, are rugby league, that's a searching and looking for more rugby league to watch. And thankfully, the Premier Sports across there in England uh, puts nearly all the NRL games on, so yeah. everybody has a vast knowledge of the NRL. Everybody looks at it, and probably because of the Australians' dominance over the last probably forty years at the international level as well, everyone puts it up there on a pedestal, and, and it quite rightly so. It's the, the best competition uh, in the world. So, um, so yeah, I think Joe obviously at a young age. Um, it's funny because I was, I didn't even know about yeah. the deal that was done before I even decided yeah. to come to the Roosters and. And everything else that goes with it, but uh, yeah, I can see uh, why Joe took took on the challenge, and and I actually really respect him for it because yeah. in England he was a regular in the Wigan side, he he uh, represented England, um, and he could have stayed there, could have been a really big fish there in a mm. sm in a smaller pond. Yeah, <clears throat> but he decided to come to NRL and challenge himself, and you know it's not gone his all all his own way, and that's yeah. good. That's good. You need to face those obstacles to improve and certain aspects of Joe's game um, that he knew would be a challenge for him across here, he's now faced it, he's yeah. played a game, he's been left out the side, he's played again, he's he's missed out again and um, for me that is how old players will improve, the English players I'm talking about. Yeah, I guess that'll show his character in the end if he comes through this tough initiation phase and if he does he's no doubt going to yeah, be that, a better player. Yeah, and that's it and and that's, that's what we are striving for in the English competition is Limited. There's, there's only a limited number of players that play the game, and um, uh, sometimes you can have a bad game, or you can suffer a loss, and a couple of losses, a couple of bad games, and nothing gets affected. You continue playing, and that's not the case. You have to be ready to play every single week, otherwise you don't play. All right. Now I want to put the focus back on you. As a coach, do you still? You're so experienced. You've done great as a Test coach. You've come out now to the NRL and coaching ever in England. Do you still doubt your abilities? to be a coach and, and what you know about the game? Do you have insecurities like everyone else? Yeah, absolutely. I think everybody um, at certain phases and we've gone, been going through a tough period at the Roosters now and um, I won't say insecurity as such but you, you, you know, you, you, you double guessing, you check in, you have we done this, mm. have we done that, have we missed something and I think you have to. I think you um, you have to have that confidence, you have to have that understanding that you, know, you do know the game and, and outwardly to the group and, and everybody else, you know, we're in charge and particularly the head coach is in charge and we're backing him up there as assistant coaches and yeah, we've, we've got most things covered but it, it's, it takes a process to get to that stage yeah. and uh, yeah, we've certainly uh, thoroughly examined what we've been doing and, and how we've been doing things and I think it's actually been a really good coaching period yeah. for us, you know, I think, uh, uh, again, I was just talking about Joe earlier on, it's... Mm things are going well and things are running smoothly we're, we're all the best coaches in the world and yeah you know it's in times like this when you um, you know you really uh, improve as a coach and re-examine what you're doing and uh, yeah make sure you become a better person a better coach because of the experience and what do you do in these tough periods do you, do you try and change things up 
do you do what you've always been doing? Is there like is there a right or wrong? There's no right or no. wrong way to play the game. It's just you've got to, I guess, adapt to the conditions. Yeah, and look, and for us, we've uh, had some very successful systems, both in attack and defence, over over a period of time, and we we fully believe in those systems. So we're certainly not going to change the the fabric of of what we're about and who mm. we are and how we go about things. Um, but personnel does change sometimes. So you you may have a style that suits a, a certain group, and mm. if that group changes, and <clears throat> you may need to tweak and adapt. And I think that's the biggest thing is. Is to have confidence in your own systems, in your structures, but real belief in that, but never be close enough to understand where the game's going to next, yeah. where you might need to progress and move your uh, your group to be able to, for it to compete on that next stage. Is it tough to get the, all the players <coughs> to buy into your thoughts and the, the coaching team's thoughts as well, that uh, things aren't going well in any given period, but we're sticking to what we know? Is it hard to convince the players of that? Not really. No, I think that, that particularly here the players have... Uh, it's really ingrained in them yeah. as to to how we win games, you know, how we win games, what's the best way for us to approach things, and, and that's been built over a period of time, and we've had a lot of success with yeah. that. So it's not really hard for this yeah. for this group. I think the difficulty does become when you are chopping and changing. And, yeah. <clears throat> you know, if you look unsure as a coach because you're changing your plans every single week, then the player's going to become confused as well. <coughs> Excuse me. So I think that, that stability and that consistency is really important for uh, for success. Do you think the, the players then believe in the coach's knowledge of the game more than their own? Oh, without doubt. Yeah, right. You know, without doubt. They have opinions, they have strong opinions, but um, yeah, I think the quality of the coaches, all of the coaches, I'm not just, when I talk coaches, I'm not just talking about the uh, coaches who coach the football side, I'm talking yeah. about the, uh, the strength and conditioning coaches, yeah. the speed coaches, uh, the physios, the medical staff, the doctors, everybody, they have confidence in all of us as as coaches because without doubt there's a huge wealth of talent here um, and it's proven that with the success that we've had and like I said we've, we've had a little bit of a bump you know we've uh, gone through a little bit of a mm. rocky period but um, <coughs> it certainly what changes. Mm. So even you think when these say these star players say a JT up at the Cowboys for example they get to a certain point where they're seen as some of the greatest players ever but you think they would still put their full faith in the entire coaching team above kind of their own thoughts on what's happening. I think you can see that, uh, you know, you mentioned JT at North Queensland, yeah. I think obviously the coaching staff have gone in there and turned what was a, a very good team into a team that's won a competition. Mm. And for that to happen, the players cannot have been doing the same things they were yeah. doing before. There's obviously been some element of change. <clears throat> I think with those experienced players, you always consult with them. Um, they've got some outstanding ideas. You know, the players are the, pl uh, are the ones who take the game to the next stage. They're out there, they're the ones who are doing mm. it. We give them this foundation, we give them this platform um, and, a, and a basic structure to work from. But the players are the ones who actually are making the game better and better and better. Not the coaches, it's the players, yeah. it's the athletic ability of the players, it's the knowledge of the players, the experience of the players. Uh, so someone like JT is, is quite clear having a big influence on the field. Uh, and I'm sure Paul Green and the rest of his staff obviously use him wisely off the field also. Alright, now why is it that most coaches seem to be ex-players? What is it that you, you learn mm. from playing? What is it the experience you take away that makes you a better coach? Yeah, it's a really good question. I mean, um, and it may well be a fault of of, of all sports. There is yeah. some, some great leaders. There is some great leaders who are very knowledgeable on the game but maybe weren't quite good enough to play the game at, at the highest level. And um, 
probably Trent's probably a good example. You know, I think mm. Trent probably played five NRL games. He's not a pl- <clears throat> he wasn't a player who played over 100, 200, 300 yeah. games and had a star-studded career. And quite often those those uh, players do become the best types yeah. of coaches because they study. You know, obviously, you know, um, Trent's got an academic ba- background. Um, yeah, because he. he Possibly part of the way because he wasn't going on and playing first grade week in week out. He had to find another route, and mm. uh, I do I do believe, um, and I was a bit skeptical myself. I did a postgraduate diploma, a level four coaching course mm. back in England, which was it was new to me. I never went down that acad- academic route yeah. um, as a player, and uh, when I finished, I, I sort of got put through this system, and I was. One, I, I was looking at it thinking, yeah, these blokes aren't really going to teach me too much. Yeah. I didn't think they were, but wow, it was probably one of the best experiences I've had. So I think that combination there of the academic background and the um, the tacit knowledge, you know, the, being out there and experiencing it yourself is, is a really good combination. Mm. And uh, yeah, I would encourage all coaches to, to further education. It was important for me. Yeah, do you think players, it's, it's harder to get into the coaching role if you haven't been a successful player? Mm. Because maybe the... Do you think the players won't respect you as much if you don't have a rugby league playing background? I think that's certainly. I think that was more the case a long time back. Yeah. You know the the, the tough ex player used to go into coaching, and, but I think that has changed. I think the world is changing. I think people people are, are understanding more. And as a as a coach, if you are educating your players, if your players are learning from you, if those players uh, are seeing the the benefits of listening to your coaching, regardless of your previous position as a player, I mm. think um, I think there's a lot of coaches now who will become successful without being top line players. Mm. Do you think there could possibly be a coach that has never played the game at all? Oh, no, probably not. I think at some level you, you, you probably would have played the game, you know. <clears throat> I'm not saying it was at either NRL level, but you probably played at a lower grade, you know, SG yeah. Ball, Ball, Errol Matthews, you've been involved in the game. Uh, Roman Smith's probably a good example yeah. of that. Yeah. Roman Smith now is obviously served his apprenticeship as an assistant coach at, at many uh, NRL clubs. He's now in England um, as the head coach of Bradford Bulls, and he was certainly a player who never, uh, sorry, he was a person who never played at any of those levels. And in my opinion, he's going to go on to be a, a very, very good rugby league coach. Yeah, let's hope so. Good man, Rose. Spoke yeah, to him last week up on the Gold Coast. Yeah, yeah, he's a good man. And like I said, he's different background, different route. And. Uh, Obviously, had a, 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 as his as his yeah. dad being one, you know, one of the coaches of the area there, he's he's learnt a lot from it from him. But he's had to earn the respect of the playing group wherever he's gone, mm. you know, and uh, he's done an extremely good job of that. Uh, you mentioned how you didn't have an academic background, and there's this new wave of coaches that seemingly didn't start, but turned out to be great coaches. What did you then gain from your playing career that you can use that maybe someone like a Trent can't use because he didn't play at the top level for so long? <coughs> yeah, yeah, I think yeah. Uh, just the experiences of, of of big games, I think they are different. Mm. You, know, I think you you play in a grand final, or you play in a Challenge Cup final, or you play in internationals. You you do get top end. You do get sort of like that top top end experience of of what it's like. And it's probably not so much uh, from the the technical coaching side of things, <clears throat> but it's dealing with those emotions during those periods of time. Um, and I feel that <coughs> certainly as a player, I dealt with some of those. Probably not as well as I could have done early in my career. Yeah. Uh, but the more experience I got of that, uh, it did help me, and, and it certainly helped me uh, going into coaching and going into coaching some big games at uh, at the highest level. So you treat 
big games now differently as a coach than when you first started? Um, probably not tr- treat them differently, but understand they do. They are different for players. Yeah. You know, as much as it's another game, it's on the same size field. It's <clears throat> against one of the oppositions you've been playing against. It does have that different feel about it, and understanding uh, how all the the makeup of the emotion and the build up to those types of games uh, do affect people in different ways. Yeah, Some you- people are ill. Yeah. Some people come down ill, you know, before a big right. game, and suddenly. You- well, he was unlucky. He was ill before a big game. It's probably the nerves, the emotions, everything else that's attached with it, and understanding that people do react differently in those situations. Seems like you do indiv- you individualise players as coaches now a lot more than ever before. Is that then taken into account when you sign a player? Like you, you do a deep investigation into their personality or the type of person they are, and that will help with their signing as opposed <coughs> to just what they do on the field. We do a lot of research um, on players. You know, some clubs probably do more than others. Mm. We certainly do a fair bit here at the Roosters. Um, obviously, the backgrounds, where they're from. Um, you know, I'll try and give a couple of examples. You know, me and you maybe both 15 years of age, and yeah. we're both good players, but I'm quite a bit better player than you are. And but understand, Thanks. but understanding, yeah, I want yeah. to say it the other way around. <laughs> understanding that and researching that, I, well, I started playing the game three years earlier than you did. Um, I was from a stable upbringing where I had my parents you know, who spent a lot of time with me. You was, came from a, a background where your parents had split up and you didn't really have a father mm. figure. So you sort of try to work out a profile of these players and you look at them and go, well, yeah, he is good. He's a little bit better than Jared at the minute, but Jared's probably got a 50% improvement in him and Steve's yeah. only got probably 10% left in him. And, and you look at your know, dates of birth and yeah. you know, you relative age effect is huge right. in sport particularly in rugby league you know which month of the calendar year you were born in wow. you guarantee I think in the Australian year is January through to December majority of the players will make the rep teams nearly all the players will make the rep teams at the age of 14, 15, 16 guaranteed they'll be born January, February or March yeah right because they've, they've had that extra nine to twelve older. months of growth uh, yeah yeah and so you know you've got the, the young boy who was born in December and the, and the boy was born in January, yeah. you're judging him on the same parameters, but actually not, there's a year difference here. Yeah. And this player looks better than this player, but it's not, it's just he's more mature yeah, than he's that He's had player. a whole year it's at a young sim- age. It's as simple as that. So you have to do a lot of work and a lot of research. I think the actual personality profiling, I think the AFL have got some really good models. I've seen yeah. some of the stuff that they do at the Swans. And, um, um, we did some of that uh, back with England uh, because uh, you don't get to spend as much time with a mm. rep team. So yeah. so when you coach a team on a regular basis, a week-in, week-out basis, <clears throat> you get to know the character. You get to understand it pretty quickly. But when you're only having uh, um, you know, small touches with a player, as in you might only get three or four days one month and you might get a day the next month, and yeah. you need to understand and get more information on those players' profiles to, to see how yeah. it's all going to work out. And how does that all translate to, say, you're signing a... Tw- 26-year-old established NRL player and you're deciding between two for the same position. Yeah. Do you do that without maybe the family and their background, but yeah. also just their personality? Yeah, I think, I think... Does as that a, come into effect? Yeah, I think it would do. You know, I certainly think it would do. I think as you... Like I said, you're talking from a young age, you, you're really doing all that research and then quite clearly when you're looking for a, you know, a player who's 26, and uh, it then becomes about what best will fit your team. Yeah, and okay. again, you know... Um, you might judge one player better than the other in certain areas, but for what you need in that team, what have you already got and what is the piece that you're missing? You don't want too many things similar there. You need to, to have that combination. So 
<clears throat> it's a complicated job, um, and it's a really, really tough job. Mm. Getting that balance, getting that mix right, throwing the salary cap as well. Yeah. So you can't just go and get what Whatever you want, you want. And pay yeah. for what you want. You've got to um, equate all of that into the, in, into into it as well, and it, it is a very, very difficult job. The teams that do it best are the ones that are successful. Mm. And I guess there's a whole job for that as well, not just the coach, but the recruiter, nah. Sully here, yeah, and yeah, the rooster. So it's a whole new world in itself, it, not just coaching. It's a, a huge job, a huge responsibility that goes with that job. Um, because what you do now, you know, the, some of the decisions you make now um, may affect the team now, will affect the team now, but will have a huge impact on what you might be able to do in two or three years' time based on contracts and levels and everything else that goes with it. All right. Now this is a question I've always wanted to know the answer to, and it might sound a bit funny, but it's I meant it with goodwill. There's fans out there, right, that watch the game their whole life. Someone could be 50 years old, 60 years old. He's watched the game his whole life. Now, apart from the actual skill of coaching, which is a whole world in itself, as we've discussed, what is it that a NRL level coach knows about the game that a fan that has followed the whole the game his whole life doesn't know? Yeah. Well, a fan. A fan is a fan. That's what it, that's what yeah. it is. He goes there and supports yeah. his, his his team. Yeah. Um, a fan is um, an educated fan that, that yeah, follows the yeah, game of football. Yeah, what, you yeah. know, what does a coach and there's know? A, and there's a lot of educated fans that, that mm. go out there. Um, but we 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 get a chance to study the performance. Mm. So they'll go to a game. They'll watch the game. Perception is a really really um, strange thing. It. If you go, you know, if you go to a game, I think the stats. I think it's about if I went and watched the game, we went to understand and watched the game. We'd probably retain about twenty to twenty-five percent of what actually happened on the field. Yeah. That's what we. That's what we, we would remember. Now, if we go to that game with a preconceived idea that uh, Jared misses tackles, yeah. Guess what we'll see. You'll see twenty-five percent of the time. We'll see Jared miss those tackles. Yeah, sounds about right. Right. Under twelve's wanderers. Well, that's, yeah. that, that's the sort of thing. That's the sort of thing that happens, and you you build these up in your mind. For us as coaches, look, we've got this this you know, this huge system in place. We watch the games, we study the games, we review the games. Um, we understand the trends of the game, where it's going, and we try and drive and take our team forwards. And um, probably try not to ride the emotional ride that a fan does. Mm. The highs, yeah. which are obviously are winning, and the lows of losing. Um, but yeah, it's probably it's probably just the amount of time that that we study the game. Mm away from just watching the game on the weekend. Right, so you do get that. That's your whole job, I guess. You're there studying everything that's happening. So if they were to actually take emotion out and analyse the game as a full-time job, they could probably see similar patterns and things to what you see. Yeah, without a doubt. I think you know, anybody who's, um, you know, who's reasonably educated would be, would be able to do that. You yeah. know, um, you know, we, have, <clears throat> we have some really good analysts in our game. Yeah. People who study the game... Uh, on a daily basis with stats and numbers and figures and look for patterns they're not necessarily educated in rugby league but because of the systems that we've got mm. they can produce some really important information that shapes and structures the way the game is going yeah have you ever heard of a heard a fan comment given to you personally or on social media or through the media and thought oh that's a good point yeah i never thought of that yeah and sometimes you know sometimes you get it from um you know the the most simplest ways, and sometimes the best information you get is from somebody who's actually not watched the game. Just sometimes you get really clouded. We're always involved in the game, and I remember um, Stuart Pearce. Remember Stuart Pearce, England football yes, player, played yeah. psycho. He was, he was his yeah. name. He was a you know tremendous player, and 
he uh, he went to coaching, managed managerial, and and he he became involved in our England program, and we did some bits with him, and never knew anything about rugby league, and he would sit there and go. Steve, how come there's, you know, there's two teams there, there's all this space behind one team, why mm. don't you just kick the ball over into that space? You know, do, do, yeah. like a really simple, and you sit there and you think, he's actually right, but nobody does it, you know? Yeah. Like, and it, it's quite, it, for me, it's interesting, people who watch our game from different sports, no preconceived ideas of how a game should be played, sometimes you get some good information, I think that can be the same, well, it's certainly the same from lots of fans and spectators as well. Mm. I, I think that often in terms of, you know, chip kicks on the fourth or fifth seem to be quite effective, or at least they cause disruption in the game. And often yeah. there's not really a negative effect, but you see the commentators always saying, oh, coach killer, coach killer. We- but if you're on the right <laughs> end of the field, uh, do you feel like there's not enough risks taken on the field anymore? It's it's a fair point. We we are, we under tw- Our under-20s were playing the goal course last week. And we were under, we were winning, but we were under pressure. The other team were coming at us, and Joseph Manu was coming to the middle of the field and chipped the ball on the third tackle, thirty metres off his own trial, and we've all screamed in the box. He's caught it because there's nobody in that yeah. space behind there, and he's he's gone the distance and set up the try on, on two players after that, and you all sit there and look at each other, and I'm, you know, it's absolutely right. You know, sometimes you have to take risk, and I think young players in particular need to learn the game properly by taking risks you know if you're safe all the time you're not going to improve and uh, certainly I think in England uh, the game is viewed (coughs) very differently Uh, the attacking side of the game the risk uh, is a lot people throw a lot more risk now it's not turned into uh, winning rugby league at international level for us but it's certainly a good game to watch Mm. has there been any inspiration Taken from the Ipswich, Jet, Ipswich Jets, you know they're playing. They won the Intrust Super yeah. Cup. Was it in Queensland? And they yeah. play this real wacky, unique style of game. And you know we haven't seen any of that, you know, swap over into the yeah. NRL. No, not yet. And people watched it with interest. Um, you know, a lot of those uh, things are you know, the, the, what we call trick shots. You know, the short yeah. kickoffs. The, you yeah, know, the, you know, the they, they seem to happen. Ball. So they they come off more regularly yeah. than often you would expect because the the person has to hit the ball backwards so they can get in position a lot easier. Yeah. It seems like it would make sense to do it more often than what does happen. It does, yeah, it does. Uh, but again, you know, it's you know, I think it's ingrained in people across in Australia in particular. Yeah. A certain style wins games. A defensive style wins games. A, yeah. you know, a powerful uh, team what gets the end of its sets and kicks the ball to the right end of the field wins games. That's proven to be the case in the NRL for a number of years, mm. but. I think we're all like watching with with interest as to right. whether someone like Ipswich could can go and repeat that again, or whether it was uh, just a one-off. All right. Well, I guess that leads to the question: Do you think the game's simple and we overanalyze it, or is the game really complex and most people just don't get it? I think the basics are really simple, aren't they? You know, yeah. you, you you've got to progress from one end of the field to the other. You've got to put the ball over the trial yeah. and stop the other team doing the same to you. And when you look at it in those terms, <coughs> it's a really simple, really simple game, but. Um, no, I, I think the game is um, it's a very good game for, uh, tactically. Uh, I think it's a really good contest between teams mm. and coaches and styles, uh, different slightly different styles of players, different uh, t- types of coaches, different slightly different ways of playing the game. Um, some teams uh, play with one style the same way every single week. Some teams will change their style to mm. play against the team they're playing against. And I think that the contests within those contests are really, really uh, vital. And I think it's, 
it's a simple game, but you can break that simplicity down. Uh, and the, the teams that that look the best players do make those important players look really simple. But there's a lot of hard work that goes into that. To a, you know, for example, just running a good line from somebody. Boyd Corden is one of the best in the competition. Mm. Yep. But the way he runs that line and how he does it and how he sets the opposition up. It looks simple when he does it at its best, mm. but the amount of work and effort and study that goes into him doing that, um, yeah, you need yeah. to see that to, to really appreciate it. Yeah, uh, two questions out of that. How, how often do you watch the footage of the games? Like, how many hours are you spending in your office mm. just analysing the game of rugby league? Yeah, lots. You know, I think you know, a typical week for us, you know, we'll play on Sunday, you know, we, our staff will be up. Not all night, but we'll, after the game we'll be we'll be working on some statistics, looking at some patterns of play. Um, we'll meet us the next morning. Mm. We'll all talk as, as a group of staff as to how we're going to review yeah. this game. We all put our little bits of information into the, into the mix. Uh, we then present that to the players mid, mid-morning. They then have group videos yeah. after that. They'll then have individual video after that. That's just on the game that's that's gone. But because the next game's coming up quickly, we are jumping straight onto looking at information for the following week, and our analysts are presenting that to us, and then they're giving us packages of information, and we're cutting through that, and wow. and it's yeah, it's very time consuming. And then, like all coaches and all people who, who love the sport, we want to watch the other games as well. Yeah, it's great. So you, you, know, you you get you get home on a Monday night, and this you know the Melbourne Storm are playing Parramatta, and. You've got your work to do, but you want to watch that game as well because it's it's important to see how other other teams are approaching it. So, yeah, it's uh, there's not often when you you don't go home and there's like it's green on the TV, it's the green yeah. field. Like, yeah. yeah, it's either it's a rugby league field of some sort on that field, particularly in Australia mm. where it's just non-stop. Well, for these young players playing the game, how much? of an effect do you think that has can it be can they have the game over analysed to them they get on the field and it just goes out the window yeah um, yeah and is that how the it's better players like, it, it's weird because the old school players you can talk about um, rugby league till the cows come on mm. you talk about last night's game or what happened two nights ago on, on the game previously and, and they watch the game they study the game it's sort of become cool not to watch Rupert League as much for a player now. There's so many other things with the social yeah. media side and yeah. other things out there in life that it sort of become a little bit cool for the players to, yeah, I didn't watch that game last night. Yeah, I was right. doing that's interesting. Yeah. What do you think yeah, behind Why, why is that it's a cool the youth, thing? Don't I don't know. Blame it's, me, blame the youth. You blame the youth, yeah, yeah, that's it. But it's, yeah, I can see a little bit of a, of a tide change on that. Um, probably they watch more than they admit to each other. Yeah, I, I, I would imagine, but and you still, but you still get some players who were really into it. You know, yeah. they're, they're, they watch every single game. And again, for me, it's the balance, and this is the big thing that I've learned. So just because it's right for me to watch so much footage and analyze lots of mm. things doesn't mean that it's right for you also. Mm. You know, it would probably just block you out. It was you would stop thinking. You'd just be blinded by all this information. Mm. Whereas a player with my profile needs a lot of information for him to work yeah. properly. And I think we see that in all different walks of life. Okay. You know, you know, we have a players who will uh, we'll just say, look, just tell me what to do and I'll go and do it. Just tell me straightforward. You yeah. know, two or three things you want me to do, I'll go do it. And then another player will say, I need you to go through it. I need to watch video. And if you, if you miss his video that week, if you don't do his individual stuff that week, he feels he can't perform because he's a player right. who needs that constant information. So... Um, again, the balance of that and understanding that Dylan Napper will be different to Mitchell Pearce in terms of the amount of information he can absorb during yeah. video. Are the better players the one that can 
even if it's two simple points or ten hours of footage, uh, the better players are one that can get on the field and not get flustered by the situation and remember what they're meant to do? Well, you get great players from all different performance yep. profiles, if you like. You get great players from mm. all the different um, sides of that. So someone called Kevin Sinfield in England, very detailed man, one of the best players we've produced. Very, very detailed. Needed to know absolutely everything before every single game. Jamie Peacock, great Britain captain for 10 years, opposite end of the scale. Yeah. Just tell me. Just tell me within 30 seconds yeah. what needs to go. And he, he could go could and produce it. that. And so it's not that the best players come from this circle or that circle. Uh, they come from each and every different circle. But like I said, it's understanding what those players need. That is really, really important as a coach. All right. Now, how important is the... Or how accurate do you think is the media representation of the game and what they see in games? Do you ever read match reports and think, they, have they been watching the, the same game? Do they know anything about rugby league? I actually think they're very good across in Australia. Right. Yeah, I, I actually do. I, I, enjoy, uh, I enjoy looking at uh, the way the press works across here within the sport. Um, I love the, the shows that are on TV mm. during the week. You know, there's various shows on... Mm. On TV that you can watch during that period of time. Which which would you say that you watch to get you've watched and thought, oh, this is quite information based and it yeah, makes sense. Yeah, um, the NRL three hundred and sixty one. Yep. I think is is more for somebody who likes who is involved in rugby league and yep. they really want you know the ins and outs. The the Matty John show, like for coming from England, my wife and daughter watch that. Now they are massively into rugby league, but yep. they love watching that show. Yep. They've got right. a really good balance there that somebody who's involved in rugby league like myself wants to watch that, but a non-rugby league person is involved in that as well. Yeah. And I think that's the best balance show in terms of that as well. So, yeah, yeah I just like the mix that they've got. And there's some obviously some very knowledgeable people uh, who decided to go down the media route across here rather than the coaching. Mm. And that's the difference in England. Most people <coughs> um, would be finishing playing, trying to go into coaching. Whereas, you know, people like your Peter Sterling, uh, Matthew Johns, mm. you know, those types of people, they've gone down the media yeah. route, but an expert media knowledge on the game, and yeah, I really like that. Less pressure, I guess it makes sense too. I would imagine there would be less pressure. I'm sure there's pressure on every job, and yeah, um, yeah I'm sure there's always somebody wanting to try and take your yeah. job, even in that industry. So, uh, but yeah, I, I would certainly say, certainly as a head coach, you know, assistant coach is a um, is a pressured job. You know, there's yeah. no two ways about it, but the head coach is the, is the one. When mm. that spotlight is on you, mm. when that camera's focused on you, it's all, yeah. that is all on. And you cannot understand what that feeling is like until you've been in that seat. You simply cannot do that. And um, I say that to everybody. You know, yeah. There's lots of great assistant coaches, um, but a, you can be a great coach in that assistant coach's seat but move one seat to your right. And it becomes a whole different ball game, and some people flourish, but some people crumble. Mm. What's the biggest difference between the two roles, apart from all the the pressures, and you're the head honcho making the mm. decisions? What's the major skill you need to have to make sure you can execute to go from a, an assistant to a head coach? Mm. Well, an assistant coach generally is doing what it says, coaching. Yeah, so a you're head, more tactical. A head coach has got all the tactical stuff still to be involved in, uh, but becomes a manager. Becomes a genuine manager. He's a managing a group of people, a group of staff. You know, he's in, he's responsible for you know thirty plus players on a daily basis, plus possibly fifteen or sixteen staff. That's direct staff, and then 
the impact that that team has on the whole of the office and the environment and everything. Mm. It's a huge responsibility, huge responsibility of people wanting your time, taking you away from what you actually do. As a head coach, again, you call it head coach in, in Australia, uh, in England it's a manager. Yep. You actually call it you know, an EPL, the manager yeah, sure. is Jose Marino, the manager is Alex Ferguson. Um, and there is managers in England who are very, very good at managing and not as good at coaches. They employ coaches to try mm. to do the coaching. But there is still some managers in England who are way better coaches than they are actual mm. managing groups. and. That is um, a big challenge when you become an head coach. So what is the assistant in charge of then? If, if you're not worried about, you are worried about the bigger picture, but that's more the role of the head coach. Yeah. What's your major focus well, you, as an assistant? Yeah, you'll have a specific role within that. Right. So it might be attack, it might be defense, uh, it might be development, it might be um, you know, all sorts of different scopes within mm. that. But you have a responsibility and you quite clearly you have a responsibility and you may have a small team that you're responsible for yeah. in terms of staff, but but the head coach is in charge mm. of everybody. From your experience, how much would, does the head coach take advice from the assistant and how much does he throw out the door and oh, stick with his guns? No, I think you know most head coaches employ people in those positions because they have opinions. Yeah. And not necessarily the same opinions as yourself, not mm. necessarily the same profile as yourself. Don't look at the game exact same way mm. as you do, otherwise what's the point? You know, so you, you, need, you need really good staff around you. Um, for enable you to be the best you possibly can be as an head coach. All right, I just want to quickly move back to the, the your thoughts on the media's representation of the game. I mean, when, when I was here um, at the rest for a couple of years, I was just filming training sessions, doing interviews, and I noticed how how tactical things got, and, and coaches would talk about getting to a certain point on the field yeah. and getting the, the opposition player in a certain position on their back and in certain positions in defence to work to a certain thing, but you never really hear much of that talked about in the media. So how much do you think, they are they missing something? I'll tell you what they do in England, what's really good, and I don't, if anybody's seen Not if that you, I want to give away risks. If, if you watch the Super League, if you watch the Super League uh, in England, after a game, they actually get a coach on one of the players yeah. uh, up and they, they show them... Oh, Robo did that after the World Cup Trent Challenge, did, yeah. Trent got a, a real lot of plaudits from that, mm. actually explaining the game. Mm from a, a, a coach's perspective or a tactical perspective and where you can move the players around and show someone's shoulders. Inside, yeah, like, inside shoulders, outside inside shoulders. Inside shoulders, outside shoulders. Well, well, like, I'd follow the game my whole life and I had to ask, what does that even mean? Yeah, exactly. You know? And that's probably where you, back to one of your previous questions about a fan being able to go into yeah. coaching. It's that level of detail yeah. that uh, we get uh, as coaches that probably separates us from just the, just the fan mm. on the terrace. But... Uh, for me, that is a it's a really good tool that I've implemented in England. Uh, what actually really does educate the fans on how the game is looked upon uh, from a coach's point of view, and and it's a little window there where the coaches sort of let themselves let their hair down a little bit. Yeah. Sometimes give you a little bit more than they would on a normal uh, press conference mm. would you, before the game. Would you like to see that in Australia? Because I guess the the biggest thing blocking that is the coaches themselves. Yeah, yeah, I think it's. Um, well, the same in England, it must have yeah. been blocked, but they found a way of doing that as part of the TV deal yeah. and part of the responsibilities. And um, yeah, I think it's good. I think it's a, it's a really good piece of TV and it's really educational for people watching the game as well. You've got to be careful, you've got to pick the right type of person, yeah. I think. Yeah. I, mean, yeah. I think we all can probably name one or two people who probably won't put <laughs> there in front of yeah. it. But <clears throat> it's really good for the fans to get a clear understanding of how the game is viewed um, from inside the team. 
Alright, I won't keep you much longer. It's been great. It's been pretty detailed. And I think it's kind of things that the fans have questions and thought of themselves or, or haven't thought of and, and not particularly answered too well before because in the rugby league landscape with media and everything, there's a very short window of time you get to speak to a coach or yeah. a player. You're given, you know, 10 minutes and there's only so much that yep. you can analyse, which I think is, you know, a point uh, standing up for the media. But I do want to talk about your time in England. I mean, what an experience. Mm. Is that the ultimate for you, coaching your country? Oh, yeah. You know, coaching your country is... You know, from from you know coming from England, you know, obviously we've got a huge history. A lot of our uh, culture is set upon on history and um, you know pride, passion, all those sorts of things were um, very patriotic. Mm. You know, in terms of sticking up for mm. our country, and yeah, I was um, I was fortunate enough to play for my country, which was, which was great. But um, coaching your country uh, was a different level, mm. um, and I really enjoyed. The experiences of it, we've we haven't been successful for a long period of time on a big stage, and some things clearly needed changes, and we went about that mm. process uh, to a point where obviously we we put ourselves in a position to beat New Zealand mm. uh, last October, November. New Zealand were the number one team, or our number one team, still ranked in the world, so it was a, a great success for us. Mm. So that's number one for you would be coaching your country ever, say coaching an NRL team and winning a, a premiership. I think so. Yeah. I think yeah. as a, as a, as, a, as an Englishman, I mean, it's not that's not to undermine anything else. That's yeah. not <clears throat> it's not doing that. It's not saying that these other things are important. It's but, just to you as but, a person. But, but yeah, as a person, you um, you coach your country, you play for your country, you represent your country at, at anything. Um, that is the best. You can't mm. you cannot beat that. So you can say you've you've hit the the highest possible high you could in your coaching career, and that you you coached <laughs> your your country downhill all the way. <laughs> that. But it's. Um, no, it's it's something that I am tremendously proud of, uh, of getting to do the job, but then doing the job to the best of the ability mm. in terms of where we were at, how we could affect change on the England program, mm. uh, and for me, we we did affect change in a big way, um, and the benefits of that will be uh, will be seen for years to come. I think. Mm. Do you think an Englishman? Representing his country in rugby league means more to him than what it does for the Aussies representing Australia. Oh, I don't know. You'd have to ask. You'd have to ask an Australian that. Yeah. I mean, I wouldn't. I I, I can't speak for, yeah. for Australians on that. But well, I'll put I'll, I'll put it this way: as an as an Englishman and having coached and played for your country, do you not like the fact that it's not really seen as the top level of the game over here? Or yeah, that's origin? strange. That was strange. I think um, I think Malmeninga is really trying to do something about that. I think it's been recognised um, financially for a long period of time. Mm. Playing Origin was far more lucrative than playing for your country, uh, and it was recognised, you know, by the people that Australia have been the best for a long period of time. But that has gradually slipped over mm. the probably the last two or three years, where New Zealand have crept up and England are obviously pushing mm. very hard now. And there is genuine competition to the to the threat of Australia being number one. They are number one now. New mm. Zealand, down know they've just beat New Zealand, but. New Zealand is the number one ranked team, and who would have thought of that? You know, it's just mm. everyone thinks of Australia. So, I think there's some serious things being put in place uh, by the a ARL, Malmeninga and his staff there, to try and put Australia back at the top of the pile in terms of mm. what is important for sport. Because, um, yeah, I mean, I, I I do find it strange. I do I do find it strange. You know, even the AFL, you know, there's no international yeah. game there, so. At least they, lot, they don't really have anyone to play. No, here, we have opposition. We, same we, as the American sports. You know, the yeah. American sports. It's you know, there's not much international in terms mm. of 
well there isn't any you know, mm. you know base, well there's a bit of baseball but you know NFL and, and the everything else you know what goes with American sports so I do think he, you know, it's Australians may have become a little bit Americanized in terms of that yeah. but I can see the tad turning back now uh, with what's happening yeah, it's a fair point you make about the competition and now that's closed uh, so that's not really an excuse but I mean the game of state of origin what an event that is what it's is, an incredible event it, like, it, the intensity seems to be higher in that than in, in international game even on the field uh, well it's different as well yeah. you know, international games are, are certainly different I had a, a great understanding of what Mal was talking about you know, they got criticised for winning a game 16-0 I think yeah. the week against, against New Zealand because it wasn't the prettiest game it was scrappy but international games are there. there. For whatever reason, they are different. Origin is a different beast mm. again altogether. And that's um, that's created by the passion of the people involved there. There's a huge passion, obviously, for Queensland and New South Wales. And um, yeah, I think that's what's going to be, get replicated now or, or re-replicated in the Australian group. Mm. Do you think the biggest improvements in the international game will come from the profile being lifted here in Australia? Or through the smaller tier countries, you boost your Samoa, your Tonga, and your yeah. PNG. Yeah, it's a combination of all of them, and that's yeah. that was my concern that the game was getting well, has got so big in the NRL. Look, it is a tremendous competition, best com- best domestic mm. competition is that, and Super League, Super League, great, Super League is really good, but the NRL is the number one domestic competition in the world. But the beast was getting bigger and bigger and bigger, mm. and and uh, more lucrative for everyone involved, including Origin. Um, but you have to not be as insular. You need to look outwards and understand the impact that the international game has on on the game as a whole everywhere. Um, and probably not be, uh, like I said, as one-eyed in terms of it's just what happens in Australia. Mm. What's important, of course, it's important what happens you know in the domestic game, mm. and we all understand that. But I really do feel that um, if the two competitions got together, if the Super League and the and the NRL really spoke strongly together. And work together on the, the the length of the competitions and everything else. That by that happening, the international game could really flourish and grow because of opportunities and space that would be created around yeah. the calendar. Uh, do you think it could overtake Origin back to its spot as yeah. the pinnacle? Yeah, I, I don't think within New South Wales and and Queensland during that period of time anybody's yeah. going to care about anything else. Yeah, yeah, and that's the way it should be, I would imagine. But in terms of once that bit is over with, or you know, wherever it's fit in the calendar, that the Australian team then becomes at the absolute priority, yeah. and uh, yeah, it'll be interesting to see the way the game goes, you know, like that over the next three or four years. All right, I'll just wrap it up by asking you your thoughts on where the greatest improvements can lie in the game, how how players can and teams can best improve in the game. Where's the area that it's it needs the most help? Well, it's evolving quickly. The, the, the game, you know, it was interesting. We was watching the TV yesterday, I think, a couple of players from a game what was only eight or nine years ago, and it just looked completely different. Mm. And you just think, you know, where, where is, you know, where is the game? Where can it go to next? What, you know, yeah. what developments can it get to? And um, I, you know, I, I'm not really sure. The athleticism of the players now is incredible, but the players are just getting bigger and bigger and bigger. Yeah. And I think the game is growing. I think obviously measures have been taken place to reduce interchange and make sure mm. it, the game stays balanced. Um, what but, about the mental side of things? The mental side is still an area where it's probably undervalued. You see a lot of players with with issues at the minute, um, yeah. just real life issues. Nothing to yeah. do with, nothing to do with rugby league, but just yeah. real life issues. And 
I think um, keeping a close eye on that will, will be really really important but expansion I think has got to be yeah. when I say improvement of the game I'm not talking about on the field I'm talking mm. just improvement in general yeah. I think expansion and for us in England um, um, participation levels yeah, is, is, that, fact, is that a problem over there in England? yeah I mean I'll give you an example uh, we probably have well I know for a fact we have 2,400 players mm. that play the game in the under 14 age group yeah, that's, that's it in the whole country wow. I think it's 2,400 what play the game under 14 in Parramatta and yeah. Penrith yeah. you know a small part or, or not small part but a part of Sydney yeah. in this huge game and for us we have to pure, all our talent comes from those 2,400 players that's all we've got and yeah. then they're doing to the academies and scholarship and so we actually produce real uh, some really quality players from the small talent base that we've got so for us as speaking as an Englishman with an English viewpoint on it creating that that uh, expansion which in turn creates better participation mm. yeah. uh, for me is vital for our game to continue its evolvement and improvement so more people just through promoting the game on, yeah. a, on a global level yeah in, in so many different ways yeah so many different ways like you said the international game is one uh, but so many other different ways and um, people do sportsmen impact upon people's lives now in a really positive way and um, you've seen the, fr the, the fruits of that we've as we've played or of coach we've all been introduced to the sport at some stage mm. And fall in love with it. We just need to make sure more people are exposed to that. Yeah. Do you think you'll ever be able to switch off this coaching shtick that you're into? You know, but it's you've been doing it for a number of yeah, years yeah. now. Once you're done, yeah. you, will you be able to go back into the to the? Oh, I don't know if you've ever been. Can you go into the real world a nine to five? Yeah, I, don't or a, I don't know. I'd like to think you can transfer your coaching skills and leadership skills into other occupations, but <clears throat> I think that's why it's so important. Yeah get your right education at school so you mm. do have choice at the, at the end of your playing career or coaching mm. career quite a lot of us coaches don't have that choice yeah. we have to coach or we're not sure what we're going to do so uh, certainly for, for um, any young players playing out there and probably get fed up with your parents telling you to, to be good at school yeah. and make sure you get that education but it is it makes you uh, be able to have choice as you become older and it'll probably make you a better player too to be able to yeah. take in all these concepts and analyse and yeah. and do what they've been told by you after a, you know forty hours a week of meetings. Yeah, yeah that's it. That's for saying it's it is difficult. You know the concentration levels needed to perform at the highest level are, uh, are high. Uh, and if you can't concentrate, if you can't be educated, if you can't take things in uh, or express your views clearly, then uh, you're going to struggle. So intelligence levels can help you just as much as physical levels as yeah, a footballer? Yeah, yeah, without doubt, yeah. I think, uh, look, you don't need to be, you know, to have the best grades and, uh, and everything to be a rugby league player. Quite clearly, our, our sport supports people from all walks of life, different types of education, different backgrounds, uh, and quite clearly complements some, some tough people. But I dare say the best players, the, the key players, your Thurston's, Cam Smith. Cameron Smith. Although academically, I'm not sure. You know, they may yeah. well have been the best, but they may not have been. But they have some ability there to to uh, to be able to receive information and uh, <coughs> have clarity within the instructions that they they are giving to the rest of the group. And Steve, thank you very much for your time. I know this has dragged on a bit longer, probably than it's fine. What I would have hoped, but it was a great chat. You know, I think it's a great insight for fans out there. This is probably something that yeah. a number of these comments they wouldn't have heard before. Really. Yeah. Digging deep into the game. No, it's been a pleasure. I enjoyed it. I hope everyone can understand the English accent. Oh, well, you know, maybe <laughs> it's a podcast, so we can't do subtitles, but we'll do our best. Thanks, thanks very much for your time and best of luck. Thank you. Cheers, mate.